The moment is brought to you by Braintree. Looking to set up payments for your business? Braintree gives your app or website a payment solution that accepts just about every payment method with one simple integration. Plus, we'll give you your first 50,000 in transactions fee-free. To learn more, visit braintreepayments.com moment. And by The Message, an original science fiction podcast from Panoply and GE Podcast Theater. All of season one is available now. So listen and find out why a 70-year-old alien recording seems to be killing people. Search for The Message on iTunes. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Today's podcast is really exciting because Jim James from My Morning Jacket is one of the great songwriter, singer, band leaders around. I mean, songs like I'm Amazed. I went across the street from where I live to the Beacon Theater, where he was performing that night. I think the only times I've traveled uh, to do the show have been for musicians, for Killer Mike, for Jason Isbell, now for Jim James. And uh, each time it's been worth it. Each of these people uh, really thinks deeply about life, their place in the world, the purpose of what they do. Uh, If you dig the show, please review it on iTunes. Let people know, tell a friend, tweet about it. And uh, as always, you can email me, themomentbk at gmail.com with any thoughts. Uh, Also subscribe to the podcast. Even if you listen to this on the Slate podcast, please subscribe to our feed, which is itunes.com slash themoment. And now, Jim James. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. All right, this is super exciting for me. Um, I normally record these in a studio and rarely travel for them, but I'm backstage at the Beacon Theater where my morning jacket are finishing playing their fourth show in a row. Yeah. And I'm here with lead singer, songwriter, Jim James, who uh, has given us an hour of his time to talk. And man, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great fun. I mean, also, in fairness, uh, the Beacon is um, one block away from my apartment. So I can't really... that's great. That's awesome. I can't really make it like... (laughs) uh, I traveled the... I don't don't want to start off by lying. Like, I had to (laughs) carpool and travel so far. I basically rolled out of bed, threw a sweater on, and got here. But I've been been listening to your new album a ton, and it's not that new, but, but your newest one, The Waterfall. And I'm struck by the first two songs on the record, which feel like... Each one is sort of a call to arms, in a way, and to uh, find a way, it seems like to me, to get in touch with uh, your best spirit. But they're also thematically different. I'm wondering, um, in, in these calls to, to action, who are you talking to? Like, are you talking to yourself first? Are you talking to a specific audience, friends? Yeah, I mean, I'm talking to anybody that'll listen. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of always talking to myself, you know, because I feel like I'm... I mean, I, we all are, you know, trying to figure out life and trying to figure out what makes us happy and why and what makes us sad and why. And uh, a lot of the things I feel like I'm constantly thinking about are, are really like, I don't they kind of all fall under the same umbrella of uh, wishing people could be more accepting of each other, you know, because I feel like, you know, everything that we've fought for so, I mean, as long as people have been around or whatever, but lots of things have come to a head in recent years. You know, it seems like, unfortunately, race has become such a huge issue again with so many horrible acts of violence happening. Also, like, if you get into the whole thing that happened in Paris, you know, the terrorism and why that exists and why that's happening. And, you know, all these 
huge conversations, but but I try to um, talk and and think about them in a way that's not like too general, but also not super specific. Just kind of in a way of like starting a conversation where hopefully people can think, you know, believe what you want to believe, you know, find your own answers to your own questions, but also do that in a way where other people can live their lives too. You know, let, let other people believe what they want to be and f- believe and follow what they want to follow. And um, but but I don't I'm under the whole umbrella though of trying to get people to embrace love because I feel like there's there's enough room on the earth for everybody to live the life the way they want to and not hurt each other and accept each other. But you, you that makes that makes sense. But there don't you think you also you do acknowledge I mean compound fracture, you know, one can read it like very literally about the thing that happened to you. There's illusion to falling off, you know, like right. stepping wrong. But to this notion that that there are things that are broken and somehow finding a way to like live despite it. And I'm wondering where you personally find hope seeing the world being sort of shattered at, at times like how do you continue to know hey I'm not sure if there's I mean you say it in these songs I'm not sure that there's anything in the world anything beyond this but I'm going to make a choice where do you find the strength to, to make that you choice know, it's, it's a hard hard life it's a hard world but it's also a beautiful world it's also filled with lots of love you know and I, and I feel like I'm really blessed to have a great family and great friends and stuff so I'm surrounded with love constantly and that to me is probably the main thing but I don't know, just looking for love and that, you know, it's like when you see love, whether it's uh, the love of, of a mother or father or a friendship love or romantic love or whatever, it feels so right, you know, and there's so much of that in the world. And somehow people forget that, you know, people are fighting and killing and blaming and judging because of the color of your skin or yeah. your sexual preference or whatever. There's all this blaming and judging and stuff, but, you know, it's like you try to shift people's focus back to love. You know, like, there's two people hugging here. Yeah. Who cares why they're hugging? They're hugging. They're creating love. That's good for everybody. So these things are, are songs to yourself to be sort of like, listen to your, your better angels, but consciously also singing to your to your audience to try to emulate well, that? Well, to myself think about to, that? I mean, my, my main thing is just wanting people to think about it and talk about it. You know what I mean? I think because that keeps humanity evolving if people are talking about it because i think there's a lot of uh not to get like into conspiracy theories or whatever but i mean they want us to sit at home and watch tv you know that's i feel like there's like this whole thing where everybody gets so hypnotized especially with all the technology we have now you're hypnotized by your phone you're hypnotized by your laptop you're hypnotized by the television and there's this whole world going on outside your window where people need love and people need to be talking about all these things that are happening and, and trying to find some positive answer to make progress happen. So I guess I'm just trying to be a part of the conversation. Was there a moment or a time when you decided to shift your focus directly in that direction? I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, if Z was like your breakthrough album and, you know, in a way, or the one that like got to a whole nother place for, for the first time, you know, I think about Wordless Chorus and, and it seemed like, you know, we are the innovators and it, it seems like you, there was a time where you were really fighting hard to carve out your own space and to say like, we're doing something special here. Um, this means a lot. This is worthy. But did the success that happened in the, in the wake of all that help you to slightly shift focus or is it a natural evolution? Or do you think it's, 
all the same. I don't know. Success is weird because I feel like we've, I mean, we've had good success, but our success has always been like a slow climb up a, a ramp or a ladder or something. You know, we've never had like meteoric, you know, number one album success, that type of crazy success. So I feel like our success has been this kind of slowly rolling thing. That So in that way, I feel like we've been able to get used to being in this weird world of people knowing you, you know, of, of you know, whoever, for better or worse. Right. But I don't for me, like, I, music has always been kind of about inner questioning and inner searching and stuff like that. And when I went on this uh, retreat with uh, this organization called Air Traffic Control, who's now called RPM, uh, after Katrina in New Orleans, they had this artist retreat where um, a bunch of us went down there. And being on that retreat and hanging out with the Indigo Girls and uh, a lot of artists who for so long had already been using their music as a vehicle for activism and awareness and all this stuff, being on that retreat really opened my eyes to, like, if I'm lucky enough to have people listen to my music and, and care about what I'm doing, I feel like... Part of that is trying to turn people on to causes that that need help or need need money or you know like putting uh, a table next to the merch booth for some local organization that needs to get their voice out or whatever you know trying to spread the word you know watching people like that have have done such a great job of that but also do it in a way where you're not beating people over the head with it you know you're not like this is what I sure. believe goddamn sure. it if you don't believe it you're an idiot you know it's like well yes yeah, like the great talk you know when, when Springsteen plays the Harry Chapin song at the benefit concert you ever hear this thing where there was this great Harry Chapin benefit and he talks about he talks about this combo he had with Chapin where Chapin said he played one night for himself and one night for the other guy and Bruce says this great thing where he's like I'm not as good a man as Eric Chapin <laughs> but I figured if he could do that like I could do a little right um, but I, I figured there might and if people haven't heard that by the way you would love it as somebody who cares about those causes and likes Bruce yeah he does two Chapin songs and really talks about why how Chapin did this thing like in a way really influenced his thinking about using this stuff for good. Okay, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, Bruce, I mean, think about all the stuff he's done for, for good. You know, it's like just tirelessly, I feel like he's always fighting the good fight. Yeah, but I wondered if there was this moment where, uh, and not just because the show, I mean, not like a, like the big moment, but if there was a, a time that you consciously realized that you had this platform that you could, even to infuse the music with these yeah it was really that retreat that was really the turning point for me where I, I realized that that that's part of it you know if you're if you're out in the world in a public way I feel like you have to speak for what you believe in and and not not talk about it. I think the worst thing you can do is you know Martin Luther King said and many people have said is the worst thing you can do is turn your back to what's going on you know and I'm not claiming to have any answers or you know like I'm just trying to be a part of the conversation and, and be a part of what's going on in the world this episode of the moment is brought to you by Braintree it's a beautiful thing when your customers want to pay but what if they could pay every way Braintree lets you accept all forms of payment including PayPal Apple Pay Android Pay and more Now you can take them all in over 130 currencies. And as your company grows, Braintree will stay by your side from your first dollar to your billionth. All it takes is a couple lines of code to get started. To learn more, visit braintreepayments.com slash moment. That's braintreepayments.com slash moment. Now, back to the great Jim James. Yeah, I had this question uh, I was going to say, which is how do you define your why or your purpose or your mission in such a fractured world? And you're kind of talking about it. Yeah. I mean, is entertaining still, like when you're, 
you know, people always talk about how you guys are the best live band in the world, and obviously it's something you take, I'm sure, a pride in. But are you thinking about it in the way uh, uh, of trying to elevate the thing, or are you just thinking about entertaining people or enlisting them in no, your vision? No, we want it to be deeper than entertainment. You know, I mean, we, we want it to be entertaining. I want people to come and have a good time. But, yeah, hopefully, like I was saying about the other stuff, it's like hopefully, I mean, because I don't know, I mean, for, at least for me, when I go to a good show that's like, spiritually moving you know it it changes your life you know it it changes everything I mean for us it's like you know if we see somebody like Bruce or whatever you know like going to see Bruce Springsteen becoming awakened to like Jesus like this power that he has he's using for good you know And, and when you go see Bruce it's like every single person in that stadium is his best friend you know it's like he connects with every person and it's unbelievable you know and and just, I don't know. So it, for us, the whole live thing is like, especially now in the age of technology, it's so important for people to just be together in a room, even if you don't even talk to anybody else. Huh. It's like just to have people together just in a room. Just communion, you mean? Yeah, just to be the there. community in a... of people together in a room living and breathing and not looking at their fucking phones, you know, for two hours. You know, the, I feel like that is so primal and so important because I think people are supposed to be together. I think we're supposed to live together, but we don't anymore. We're fragmented. We're fractured. You know, some people have families or whatever, yeah. and they live in their little square house and do their little isolated thing in their in their own family. But yeah. I really feel like somewhere it all went horribly wrong. You know, and we're all so isolated and we're so sad and we try to find companionship in our fucking phone or our, our laptop, you know, and, and, and we do in a way, but it's a false... Well, suddenly we're all so thing. sad. That's really... Is that what you see when you look out before you come on stage? I mean, do you see or do you tell yourself your mission is to give them some time away from that somehow to to escape? I mean, you know, I don't think I can give anybody anything. You know what I mean? I, I hope they can find that. You know, we want to make a, a, the show a place or the records or whatever, we want to make it a place where hopefully somebody can find those things for themselves, you know? Where they can find connection. Yeah, find connection, find, like, not, like, again, I'm not saying I'm providing any answers for anybody, but hopefully it will make them think, you know, about what things they need to figure out or or solve. Well, you say you don't think you're providing any answers for anybody. I actually think that's something that's sort of like the next level thing of what separates Bruce from Bob, I read that great quote of yours about, you know, Bob and Neil, I don't want to misquote you, but something like, you know, Bob and Neil are super cool, we're always super cool, and Bruce wasn't exactly cool, he was like earnest, right? And right. He, and he would allow you to see his joy. Yeah. Those other guys sometimes wouldn't allow you to see their joy, because yeah. that's not considered a cool emotion. Yes. And that you made a decision to allow people to see that joy. But I, I think part of that is also Bruce was never afraid to say he was showing you the audience a better way. Right. Do you know what I mean? Bruce yeah. would do that. And I think I look at your lyrics as they've evolved. And I think, you know, there is no evil. There's no good. Only people doing as they should. And there's, you know, there's life and love and sound. Get as much as you can keep around before they put you in the ground, into the ground. I mean, if that's not preaching. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, it's like I'm just trying to figure it out myself, you know. I don't know. I'm, tr- I'm trying to hopefully be – I had a real awakening. I mean, I don't I don't even know how long ago listening to uh, Curtis Mayfield. Sure. You know, because Curtis Mayfield to me is just like such a holy person. You know, it's yeah. like he was constantly 
preaching for people to figure it out and get together and speak up for yourself and stand up for yourself and you're a winner and you're worth it you know and and getting into his whole thing for me was like yeah because you've got you know i grew up with bob and neil yeah right and they're saying a lot of great stuff too but not in such a beautifully outwardly like hey this is great you know bring the kids bring the wife let's go to the park on a sunny day and let's live you know and, and yeah life is going to be t- hard but life is also beautiful and, and in music it is it's way tougher to express joy than it is sadness because sadness is it, for i don't know for whatever reason that emotion is there so much more quickly you know and people connect to it so much music is so not to get all eckert told but it, so much music is so pain body driven you know it's like we're going to connect yeah. in this pit of pain and we're going to slug it out and that can be helpful but i think that also mires you down but yeah because somehow earnestness i mean david foster wallace sort of talks about th- th- this in this piece he wrote a long time ago about how like irony kind of killed like everyone embracing irony is the oh, only means yeah. of expression yeah and it feels to me like you've made a concerted i guess that's what i'm, I'm saying is that i hear in ten, the 10 years since z i hear you trying really hard to like lose like living in a in an expression that has irony. Oh my god! Yeah. Well, I mean, we've all, I've always tried to stay away from that because we grew up where, where I grew up in Louisville. It's like that was irony was king, and and the whole indie rock scene. Everybody was so stuck up and everything. Nothing felt like it could be joyous or, or genuine. Right. You couldn't because be because rock and roll isn't that. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Because of the corniness factor. And what's so funny is you like so many people. You know, I feel like in that scene, I, I don't know. It's like the because to me, when I look to like the king of of what indie rock was, or like I look at Lou Reed, I feel like Lou Reed let himself be weird and corny and funny too at moments. You know, and that's something I, I, I wish people could. Yeah, I think about I think about Michael Stipe, who found a way to let you know that he was feeling yeah, yeah, something absolutely, and 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 wanted to tell you like not just it was okay to be sad, but. When I think about those corny Michael Stipe songs, part of it was saying, like, I'm going to risk expressing joy. Yeah. And I think about a song like I'm Amazed. And I know that album is, like, a controversial album, but I love it. And I think, like, I'm Amazed is one of your best songs. You're really sort of, like, putting it out there in the most direct way. Did the sort of mixed feedback for that record bug you? Did you... Yeah, I mean, you know, you always want people to love everything. You know, I do. I want to put out a record and have everybody just be like, what's the greatest record I've ever heard? You know, but after a while, I mean, you you kind of realize that no matter what you do, somebody's going to hate it and somebody's going to love it. You know, every time we put out a record now, it's like, it's kind of cool, especially with the internet. It's kind of neutralized everything. I know that no matter what I do, Somebody's going to hate it and say it's a horrible pile of crap, and somebody's going to like it and say, oh, it's really nice. And it doesn't matter if I put out a metal record tomorrow or if I put out a record of complete silence or if I put out a fucking country record or whatever. The result is always going to be the same. Somebody's going to love it and somebody's going to hate it. And at the end of the day, that's really freeing. So that enables me to just make whatever I'm into and whatever I want. You know, because that, that makes it fun for me, and I already know the result's going to be the same. But when you play I'm Amazed and people go crazy now and sing every word and you see how important that song is to people, do you take any sense of, like, I knew it out of that? or uh, I don't know. If it, it, it does feel good to see people enjoy things that people have made fun of. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, it definitely you play does. that song, people go nuts. You can yeah. see people look at each other and sing it to each other and hug each other. Like, yeah. it's one of those sort of, you know, very special songs that you've written and and I know I would feel like um you know I'm I'm 10 years older than you or whatever and 
Oh, we have the same birthday, but I'm like, really? uh, yeah, April 27th. Nice. I just, yeah, saw that when I was coming over here. I'm 12 years older than you. And, okay. But I'm older enough that, like, the it's very easy to kind of ignore that bullshit or, well, this isn't cool. And I, when I read the stuff you said about figuring out a way to allow the, the Bruce side to come out, I was like, that's a really courageous form of growth in, in rock and roll. And um, I wish, you know, you think, you hope it's catching in a yeah. way. I feel like it has a lot. I feel like our musical world has has grown so much. And I think a lot of people are looking out for each other now. And I think a lot of people are being joyous now. And I feel like there's a good community of... of sometimes in the past, it always feel like it's so cutthroat. It's like, we're the best fucking band. Or they're the best fucking band. But now I feel like, at least the, all the people I've been fortunate enough to play with, it's like... There's room for everybody. Everybody can be. If you're the, great, the, man, you can cut through, right? Yeah, everybody can do what they want to do, and there's room for every single person. But it seems like you search out these kind of collab. I mean, it seems like you don't want to be, um, I mean, I know you started by recording in a silo, but you don't want to be siloed off and separated. It feels, because, you know, you look at, someone looks at what you do from the outside. In a way, there's no reason for you to have a band. You write everything, arrange everything. You can play every instrument. Um, you could produce the records yourself. Like, but you've not only with my morning jacket, but you've found these collaborations over the years and thrown yourself um, into them. And I'm, so, what is it that you? Like, why aren't you just Jim? I mean, you've made the solo album. But why are you not just? Well, you're, I, you're, I, I what do you I get just, by these out of these collaborations? Oh my God, I, I get love. You know, I, I just love. I mean, music to me is God, and God is love, and it's all the same. It's the force. You know, it's the it's the center of life and it, to me it's like how many love is limitless you know it's like music is limitless I could play with a different band every day for the rest of my life and still not even get close to exhausting all the possibilities you know there's all these possibilities and at least in my life it's like the more possibilities you explore the cooler you see it is that hey this one thing I have is this band called My Morning Jacket that we've been together like this for 12 years now you know the band's been around for since 98 but this right. lineup which I consider to be the lineup the whole point of this thing is a band of these people playing together and their friends and that's love you know and, and when I go do a new thing where I'm meeting completely new people. It's like a new love. It's like, uh, who are these people? What's going on? I don't know, you know? And so does it make it, the fact that you look at it as love, because it's interesting, so many of us, one of the big fears is, you know, you bring your creative thing or whatever you have into a situation with other people, and it can be scary to share, to open oh, up. Oh, Absolutely. Oh, it's so scary, yeah, because you, you want still to be accepted, you don't want to be rejected. Absolutely, I mean, when I did that new basement yeah. tapes thing, I mean, talk about intimidating, walking into a room with T-Bone and, and Elvis. Elvis and Marcus and Taylor and Rihanna, and, you know, it's like, and you want, you're like, oh my God, I hope my song is as good as their song or whatever, but at the end of the day, I believe in myself enough to know that whatever I do, it doesn't matter as long as I like it. You know, if I'm walking in there and I don't even like it, then that's fucked and maybe it's not going to be good. But if I like it, I know no matter what I do, the world's going to react the same. Somebody's going to hate it and somebody's so going to enjoy it. So how did you get to that place? So, you know, one of the great moments in Basement Tapes, and I, I, I know Taylor a little bit, and I, I'm, for me, the great thing about New Basement Tapes is that the world got to see how special Taylor Goldsmith is. Yeah, he's amazing. Because he was really flying under the radar, I think. Yeah. And, you just saw in there, he was so happy to, like... He's so great, yeah. Just do anything with anybody. But, you know, the, it's amazing the thing opens on you basically writing down at the bottom, and it, you went in there... 
with, in a way, like the most complete song ahead of time, which was... Well, Taylor and and Elvis and I, I think we all came in with the most completed songs, you know, like we were... Right. I think our minds worked the same. Elvis wrote like 50 (laughs) songs for every one song. It's like, he's like way, way uh, prepared and then... But but, uh, But you came in with basically, I guess the difference is, it's true, Taylor definitely prepared. He and I talked about it and we talked about it, but for sure... But you really tracked your demo in a way that's very close to what ended up yeah. ended up on the record, right? Yep. It's super the baseline. I mean, the whole thing pretty much is the record you made. Yep. is the record that that starts the whole thing off. Yeah, I wonder if that must have felt a couple of things. One, did you know you'd written something special? I don't know. You know, I uh, I, I liked the song. I liked it, and it was funny because we were all sitting around on the first day. We were talked and said hello, and we were sitting there, and we're like. You know who's gonna start? You know, and, oh, you mean who's gonna show first? Yeah, like who's gonna go first? So what and, happened? Well, T Bone was like, "Why don't you have you got that demo? How do we do it?" And I was like, you know, part of me was like, "Oh my!" Had you already God. sent it to T Bone or no? Yeah, I had been sending him my demos. Uh, you know, every week or whenever I would get a new one done, I would send him one. So yeah, I so think, then you had to play yours first for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Was it scary to have all the Elvis looking at you? It was. It was really intimidating, but everybody was so nice too. You know, and that was one advantage because I'm I'm big into recordings. For me, it's like you could have a song that has a terrible recording, and I don't enjoy it. Even you can't hear the song, song through. Yeah, it. I don't care. I'm huh. super super into like. Not even hi-fi or lo-fi. I love recordings that sound terrible sure. that are made on a jam box. But I, so for me making these demos, I wanted to show people what I wanted the end thing to be kind of like. You know, I wanted their energy in it too, and wanted it to be whatever it was going to be. But I know what I wanted. So having being able to play those demos for them is helpful for me because I feel like I'm saying, okay, this is what I want to happen. I want it to be cooler than this, you know, and hopefully the end product is better than this, but this is the start. Whereas if I just sat there with a guitar and was like down on the bottom, you know, and played it in a in a conventional way, that to me is not as fun. It's not as psychedelic and, and surreal. You know, it's like I, I want this to sound You want the magic in it, it yeah. feels like in a way. Yeah. What drew you to that? It's interesting because the that feels like a lyric you could have maybe written. Uh, it was really magical. Like, yeah, how did you grab on to that just one? Just dealing with those lyrics. I mean, they, they sent us all the lyrics and just looking through them, you know, one or two, you know, whatever the ones that popped out to me, they just popped out to me. I don't know why. You know, the other ones, I mean, there were some other great lyrics in there that didn't produce any songs in my head, but those, uh, one, the ones that I ended up writing, they just popped out I don't even know why what is your writing process normally do you start words groove I mean I understand now you're saying that, that the recording matters so I imagine you're thinking about the, um, the beat and the bass line but what how does it work do you write on a, when you're writing for an album are you writing on a, some kind of schedule in your day are you just waiting no like what, what is your it's all over the like? place because I get ideas in my head like at dinner or whatever like I'll have a song pop in my head and I'll run to the bathroom and sing it into my voice memo does it usually come as like a uh... it's all different sometimes it's a whole song sometimes it's one line sometimes it's just a guitar riff or right. just a beat and I'll just sing it into my voice memos just so I don't forget the idea. And then later, I'll go back and listen to that voice memo and see what the chords actually are and you know start working on the lyrics or whatever. But then other things, like I'll be recording or there'll be some section of an old jam or something that I'll get focused on and I'll start building that into a song. So like I'm kind of like right now, for example, I'm working on like a new solo record that's 
built out of all these other weird old pieces of music that I've done over the years that... What do you mean weird pieces? You well, mean, just like the instrumental pieces that weren't intended to be songs. Oh, or fragments anything. that you just were playing around? Exactly, yeah. And so at your house, what do you have set up for yourself? Like, is it just guitars or is it like you have... No, I mean, I'm into everything. I've got everything, you name it. You know, keyboards and organs. And right, just all over the place. And, yeah. Like, does inspiration have to strike for you to do the thing? Or... Will you just sometimes be, be hanging around doing nothing, like, all right, I'm going to go sit at the It's piano. both. Like, I, I love recording so much that I'm constantly working on some of that stuff. Like, I'm working on my next solo records, and I'm recording vocals, or I'm recording whatever, bass or whatever. And then, But then I'm also working on the next Jacket record, and those are, there's some things we've already recorded, and then there's other things that are just seeds, that are just ideas in my mind that I still have to get a guitar out and find out if it's even G or C or, or whatever the thing is even remotely made out of so there's kind of a lot of things going on at once and do you ever deal with feelings a sense of being blocked like after you got injured or anything were you able to oh god yeah I mean I've gone through many months you know feeling like nothing's coming out or nothing's happening or yeah definitely you know you're so you've been so productive constantly productive the seven my morning jacket albums your solo albums monsters of folk right banjo I mean so many different things People feel like um, writer's block is crippling. I get letters all the time about it, or, or in whatever they're trying to do, like that feeling that they're not good enough, mm-hmm. or that they're they're not reaching their creative peak. So how do you manage it when you feel? One thing that I love that enables me to transcend all of time and space is recording. I'm recording all the time. I'm recording voice memos. I'm recording ideas for real at home or whatever. I'm recording drums or I'm recording things. And then I'll, let's say I go... Just ideas, you know, whatever, like at dinner tonight, if I have an idea that pops in my head that goes blah, 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 I pull out my phone, I go blah, 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 just so I don't forget. And that exists. That exists, right? It's in my log of things that exist. And this log that I have goes back to when I was 12 years old or whenever I first started making music. So let's say a month from now I hit a writer's block or whatever and no fresh ideas are popping in my head or I'm feeling uninspired or I'm feeling whatever. You have that dead feeling, kind of like a little bit of a dead feeling. I'll travel back in time and find a riff or a piece of music that I loved that I recorded back then and I'll start working on it. And it'll start brewing new ideas. You know, it's like, I feel like the metaphor of like if you water the garden... If you tend your garden, it really will grow for you. And I feel like if you are constantly collecting, there really should be no point. Because I feel like I could just work now on every little thing I've collected over the years and never write another new idea again and still not finish it all. You know, because there's all these little... So that's great. You don't feel the pressure to... You don't feel the pressure like when you sing into your voice memo... You don't feel the pressure, i got to go home and work on that thing right now. In fact, sometimes. Like, but sometimes you like the idea that that might be lingering out there. Oh, yeah, I might not it. work on it for four years or whatever, yeah. Really? Yeah. How do you have them catalog? Like, how do you... I just put, keep them all in my voice memo and then put them in the computer. And I've, so I've got voice memos, but I've also got Pro Tools sessions. I've got four-track cassettes. I've got other cassettes. I've got, just through throughout the years, different A buddy of mine program. wrote a movie with Woody Allen, and... Uh, he said, and what he's talking about, he said, he said, Woody just has like a drawer full. And what he said it too, of just like one line 
scrapped yeah. ideas yeah. that are the movie ideas. Totally. But it's just an idea. And he'll, when he wants to write a new movie, he just like goes through and finds one that he hasn't, and then it's like, all right, let's see if I can turn this into something. Right? Yeah, they really are like little seeds. Yeah, it's like you go find this riff or this line that popped in your head, and if you put it in the ground and spend some time with it, it grows new things. You know, it's like all this new stuff comes right. out. I guess also your subconscious then is where once you found a way that once you release it into the voice memo, you you don't have to try to remember it. So yeah. you're, you're like, um, you can relax, I guess. Yeah. And then like whatever's then later, I do put pressure. Like when I'm finally recording it for real or whatever, when it's finally going to be done. Yeah. Then you know you feel the pressure of oh man I hope this is great or oh, I hope do? people love this or whatever you know but at the same time like I was saying earlier it's like I feel the pressure because I want I would love to release it and just have everybody all across the world love it's the greatest album ever. You want people to jump out the window? Yeah, they never have to hear anything. Ever I want that to happen, but I also know that's not gonna happen. You know, especially it's in a today's long time world. to feel that to really recognize that it's not gonna happen. Yeah, and, and that, but that's so freeing, you know, because you're like you're gonna create this thing. Maybe people love it. Maybe people hate it. Maybe they won't love it till twenty years from now. Maybe, maybe they. Don't. I mean, think about all the music we love. You know, sad stories like Nick Drake or whatever that nobody even gave a shit about him and he died and nobody knew. And now everybody fucking loves him so much. Or sure. I really love Washington Phillips. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's like a singer from the late twenties that did gospel, right. really crazy, beautiful. Songs. Or like Jackson Frank is the one I always think about. You know, Blues Run the Game. You ever hear that? Uh, I don't know that. He, no, you'll lose your freaking mind, man. Jackson Frank. Blues run the game. I'm gonna play it for you right yeah. before you leave because, weirdly, Paul Simon produced the guys like one album in 1967, and it did nothing and went nowhere. Right, and he died alone and terribly. And you, when you hear this album, I think you in particular actually, when you hear this, you'll wow. go like, I don't even understand. Write like, that down. So the fuck this you. is. Yeah, Jackson Frank, Blues Run the Game. Um, but for you, you know that you get the chance. You have a huge audience that's there to engage with what you do now. I'm glad we have an audience and we have fans or whatever, but every time it's funny the re- the response you see from people, you know, it's like sometimes people like what you did and other times people are like, we always joke that like whenever we put out a song that's slow, people are like, oh, I hate their slow songs. I wish they rocked. You know, whenever we rock, there's somebody going, oh God, I hate it when they rock. I wish they were just mellow like they used to be. You know, it's like if you never changed, people would hate on you for that. If you always change, people hate on you for that. You know, but it's so like, I know you say that, you, you know, you've accepted this, but it sounds, I don't know, it sounds like you're still engaging with it just a little bit. Oh, definitely. Oh, no, absolutely, because it's frustrating. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, I mean, it sounds like it's still a little, that's why I was asking you about the I'm amazed thing, because people, like, again, I hear it and I'm just like, man, I mean, people would just give their arm to write a song that has that effect on people. And... Um, if I were in your shoes, I would like now, you know, I, this happened to me recently. I was, I was at an event somewhere and I was caught off guard. Somebody introduced me to their friend and they said, oh, this is my friend blank. And this person's a film critic that they introduced me to. And I couldn't help it. But I happened to know. And I said, you hate everything I do. Wow. I said, I smiled. I was real nice. And I said, oh, you're a good writer. And I know you hate everything I do. And it made me sad sometimes that you do. Because what I know you're good. It's a woman, and she said, well, this was the thing. She said, um, no, I, I love Rounders, your first movie. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, you hated it. You, you wrote a bad review, and you hated it so much that two years later, in a review of a whole other movie, you mentioned how much you hated Rounders. Wow. I said, now, 15 years later, you know that that was a really good movie, but at the time, I needed you to know. I don't need you to know now. Right. I really needed you to know then. Right. And... She was really great about it, and she's a lovely person. And like, but you do, you are aware. You would think it makes you feel all better. Like, 
truth is, I should just smile, it's nice to meet you, and move on. Like, why should it still, why should her opinion oh, of a tough. movie yeah. from oh, it's it, so it, tough. 18 years ago Absolutely. drive me crazy now? Absolutely. You know, why couldn't she have said, I like your movies, and me just be like, well, thank you very much, <laughs> but it's so hard. It's so hard, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm not trying to say I, ha- I have no, no feelings about that stuff. It's just like... I think after long enough now, you know, because I think I was naive before and I thought I'd put out a record and it would change the world and everybody would love it. You know, and you do that the first time and it doesn't happen. And you do it the second time and it doesn't happen. You do it the third, fourth, fifth time, whatever. It's like after so long of getting the the same response for everything, and it does hurt when some, when you read a review and somebody's like, this is bullshit or whatever, or, you know, or you only get a, you know, half yeah. a star or yeah. whatever. You know, that stuff fucking hurts, you know. It really does. And, and, and a lot of times it makes me mad because I feel, you know, you get into the whole metaphysical conversation of what the fuck are they criticizing for? What are they doing? You know, they're just sitting there criticizing other people's oh, yeah. art. It's, you demonize, it's so easy to oh, go right to demonizing But you can't get into that at the same time. It's like you can't devote your precious life's energy to worrying about that shit. Plus, yeah, you can't be the person trying to tell everybody else and then get dragged yeah. down. But it's really hard, like because as an artist, you you must feel like you put your most fragile yeah. self forward, yeah. the best of yourself. Yeah. And when it's not, when they don't even understand the intention behind it, is when it really. My only problem with criticism with critics is when it's mean spirited, and I feel like with since the internet and I think things have got a lot more mean spirited. And because I, I, you know, whatever, if you read a, an honest critique of your record and they didn't like it and they're like, I didn't like it because of X, Y, Z, but it's not mean spirited, then I can, you know, whatever. I, I don't like that, but I can accept it. But, you know, when I read things that are mean spirited or, or people picking on people, it does make you mad because you're like, man, this person's putting their heart on soul out there for everybody to see. And, and what are you doing? Well, yeah, that's the thing. I was reading that, um, you know, Stephen Hyden, who's great and wrote that wonderful piece for Grantland, but when in the middle of that piece, you're talking about your live shows and how the albums aren't quite what the and I was and I, I I thought thinking like when I listen to these albums, I can tell how much like loving how it matters to you every bit as much. Oh yeah, absolutely. As the live shows, maybe even do. more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, you can feel it, and I could. I was put myself in your shoes for a second. I was like, gosh, in this whole beautifully nice piece, I could just imagine Jim reading it and being like. Oh, dude, you missed it. Like, I, so I try not to read pieces anymore. I, I just feel like so everybody always misses it. Yeah. About yeah. What I do. Absolutely. Hey, I love talking to Jim James, and we will be back with more of him in a moment. Today's show is brought to you by The Message, an original science fiction podcast from Panoply and GE Podcast Theater. Search for The Message on iTunes. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s. Have you listened to it yet? Not yet. Uh, We're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now... Um, Sounds like a no. Well, we don't really know what it is. Voices. Music. Breathing. But, you know, I'm not going to mess with that thing. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. Subscribe to The Message on iTunes. So you mentioned being 12 when you first started this stuff. What what was it that let you know that this is what you... That this was the form of expression, these artistic impulses 
what it takes. You know, it was a really beautiful thing for me because it, it was uh, growing up. I think for everybody's tough. It was really tough for me, and I always felt like a nerd. Tough out. And just felt like a nerd Why? and an outcast. And because you like to read and stuff, or yeah, like, you know, I had dorky glasses. I had, you know, I didn't know how to be cool. And uh, it's hard to grow this way. beard at twelve. Like, <laughs> you know, you just can't. Well, but but I was lucky enough to meet some great friends. Who Patrick being one of them, who's still of in course, the band. Yeah. Dave, who plays on, with my solo stuff, I still play with him. I met these people in fourth grade, and uh, we formed a friendship around music because we, you know, we didn't know how to be cool. We didn't know how to play sports. We, we didn't fit anywhere. You know, we didn't fit with the punk rockers, and we didn't fit with the jocks, and we didn't fit into any of these categories. But we had each other, and we had music, and, and that was like our saving grace. And what was it that you guys were listening to together? Like, well, the, the coolest beginning. thing about that time when we were growing up is that we were all super into hair metal was really big back then, but we didn't feel like we could ever do it. We didn't feel like we're cool enough or had, you know, like crazy enough. Uh, so was it Van Halen? Yeah, Van Halen, Motley Crue, uh, stuff right. like that. But then the whole grunge thing hit and sure. R.E.M. hit huge. And R.E.M. to me was like one of the first times where I was like, oh my God, well, this is like what I've been looking for. You know, these are like normal guys making music. They don't care how they look. They don't care about all the bullshit. They're making beautiful music. You know, of course, Nirvana and Pearl Jam, that whole thing. So that that whole thing ripped it wide open for us. And then did you go backwards from Nirvana to like of Pixies course, and Replacements? Yeah. I mean, and, did you figure yep. out... And Neil Young right, and all that right. The whole line right back to yep. all that stuff. But so you were young when you got into those bands? Like at 12 or 13 yeah. when you were... Starting to make music was yeah. was that the noise that kind of well we kind of went on that we were playing in the garage and you know trying to play um, like Motley Crue or, or like uh, yeah Van Halen or because a lot of that that uh, I love a lot of that I and mean, I'm not in in any way. Uh, dissing on that music but it's just like a lot of it was super complicated or it was super macho or you know things we yeah. felt like we couldn't be and then uh rem came out and and we all super freaked out on out of time you know that was my gateway drug into rem and uh i was just talking about that album the other day just man. got swept up by it you know and that how beautiful that album was we combined that with how raw Nirvana and, and Pearl Jam and Mudhoney and all those bands were. And I think it's just kind of... And also how those bands, like a band like Nirvana, could be beautiful too. You know, it's like they could shred and destroy and rock, but they weren't afraid to be beautiful and sad and, and, and open about that. And you picked up on that stuff as a... Really, when you were a kid, somehow you were thinking about it in, in this way? Yeah, because, I mean, I was just a kid trying to learn, to play, learn how to play guitar or whatever, and, and I knew how that music made me feel. So I was like, how can I, can I do this myself? You know, like, can I make, and we'd start playing and you know, when you get in the garage as kids and you're playing, it's so fun to rock and shred and throw your guitar against the wall and all that stuff. And we got into that, but then we would also be like, man, how do we do something as beautiful as out of time or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I feel like that was Which such people a... People don't know that song. Go listen to it. So beautiful. And Country Feedback from oh, that song. Country Feedback. If that's okay, a different title. Because it's one of the deepest, most beautiful songs ever. Yeah. And if it had a different title, people would understand. Like, you know, because that title has nothing to do with... It's just, it just yeah. has to do with the music of the song. But it's gorgeous. That was really... I mean, I feel like for us to be able to grow up in that time, we were really lucky. Did you ever tell Michael Stipe? Like what... I've never met him. I've met Have Peter. you met Buck? Yeah, yeah, he's and great. Now, so when you do, like, will you tell someone like no, that? I mean, you want to get into that. No, I mean, Why? if if the conversation goes there or whatever, I will. I just, I don't know. I don't like to. I like to just try and have a, a normal relationship with people. Just be like 
you know, whatever's happening that day, we'll talk on that, that or focus on that. Uh, if it, I mean, but when a younger musician comes up to you, if they're who's like success and says like, oh, your records have meant a lot, does it? Do you like hearing it, or does it make you uncomfortable to have to? Uh, it just depends on the situation. I mean, it's nice to hear somebody tell you they like what you do, but I mean, sometimes it's it's also strange. Why, like to have to be the person who wrote those songs, as opposed to just be Jim on the day or something? I mean, I think it's really interesting you, that you're somehow separating like the work that you do from like just the guy or something. Well, maybe because I do, I do in life. I feel like I have to do that. You know, I feel like Why? I exist on one plane that is the world of music or whatever, or, you know, but then I also exist on another plane that's the world of my family or the world of my personal relationships. And I don't know, I feel like sometimes people get so obsessed with fame and success and stuff like that. Like, I don't know, I want somebody that I meet to know that I love them for who they are, not because they sold 32 million copies of Out of Time or whatever. You know, it's like everybody kind of knows that. You know, they like they know this. This is this figure who has had this success and this many units sold. You know, I don't need to be another person telling them that I love them because of that. Right. I want to love them because they are who they are. It's interesting. It's a really interesting question because the. As an artist, you also know that even though you exist on those different planes, each one feeds the other. Isn't the whole of you kind of like all that stuff? It is, but at the same time, it's like people take the whole fucking fame and success thing so... I mean, it just freaks people out. It whacks their brains out, you know? And, and like, for example, like if I'm at home with my friends or family I've known forever, you know, it's like... I don't ever want that to be a thing that comes between us. Does you know, it it's sometimes? Like, well, I mean, when people, if you're out somewhere and somebody sure. gets weird on you or something, it's like, there's just this thing where it's like, I want people to know I love them and I want them to love me because I'm Jim. Jim. Not because I've fucking done this thing with this fucking band or whatever. But you could separate you know, out like, like the success, because I get the fame and success part being sort of not wanting to be grappled with or dealt with in that way. But I'm, I'm wondering if like the, the fact that the work has moved them, just the work itself... Uh, so maybe it's hard for you to accept that they might be purely not saying it because you're famous, but saying it because actually, like, that song. Right. Can you tell when some like, I mean, you must have oh, the thing yeah, where people definitely. are like, that song got me through the worst period. Oh, yeah. Life. No, sometimes it's amazing people tell you that stuff and you, and you connect on a deep level. Right. and Yeah, that definitely is. I mean, a friend of mine surprised me recently with, I go to dinner and I don't know it's going to happen. R.E.M. is my favorite band of all time. You know, the change saved my life in college. and. I didn't, Mike Mills was at dinner, and he didn't tell me, he, he knew, and he didn't tell me that there were like four of us at dinner, and one of them was Mike Mills, and it was really hard to just be Did cool. you go there with him? A li- yes, because I don't want to be the person, I, I made a decision, I'd rather be thought of as a little bit corny, I don't want to hold back, you know there's that, did you ever ever read um, Franny and Zoe by J.D. Salinger, that beautiful short, no, it's a beautiful okay. short novel, really beautiful, but there's this great moment where this guy is waiting it opens with this. It's beautiful. This guy's waiting by a train for his girlfriend, and he's picking her up. Uh, they're meeting at the train station. One of them's coming in, and right before he sees her, he makes his face neutral and doesn't show how excited and joyous he was. He holds it back because he doesn't want to be at risk. Right, right. I'd rather be at risk. Yeah, that's true. I I, I'd rather that. be vulnerable. So I don't yeah. want to make him uncomfortable but I'd rather be, vo- I'd rather allow myself to take the risk of at least saying like, um, you know, what you what you've done made a big impact on me as a as right. a person and as an art. You know what I mean? Yeah, God, it's such a fine line because I know what you're saying, but the, but there's that level. You know, I don't have you ever listened to or read Ken Wilber stuff when he talks about the lines, levels, states, and type. No, but I will. 
Ken Wilber? Well, yeah, he just has this really cool way of, and I'm going to quickly paraphrase it, but each one of us, there's so many levels to us and so many things that we are. Like, there's you that's the cook. There's you that's the filmmaker. Right. There's you that likes to play basketball yeah, sure. or whatever right. it is that we yes. all do, you know. So sometimes I feel like with a person, you know, like whatever, if you're at dinner with Mike Mills, he always gets the line of, I love, oh, right. my God, yes. the band, oh, my God, the band, oh, my God, the band. And sometimes I feel like there's other lines, too. You know, if you're sitting at dinner and he's talking about basketball sure. or whatever, and you're like, oh, yes. uh, you know, baseball somehow the band yes, cannot exactly come right. up. Like, you're like, oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, like, but yeah the baseball band that they do, the yeah. baseball project. Yeah. It's like, oh, dude, I love baseball and whatever. You know, like, uh, my favorite team's the Reds. No, of course, because you want to be genuine and, and you don't want to be engaging with, like, you don't want to be engaging with um, the guy with the glasses who wore those suits and played bass when he's at dinner yeah, in yeah, a whole different guy body. There. Yeah, yeah, totally, exactly. I, so I get, I get that. By the same token, I guess I think that it's never bad if you can be reminded in a simple way of the joy you've brought others, that if part oh, of what I can do is to say to the guy, you really made my life better. Right. Now we can, but it's hard. But I will say, that was hard. It is. It's it's hard. But but sorry, sorry. so when you met Peter Buck, you didn't say, you haven't said that to him. No, we didn't go down that pipeline. I just try to hang with him how he was then. Or, you know, it's yeah, like, that's cool. I don't know, yeah. I'm trying, or like well, in a working thing with the basement tapes thing, like yeah. you know, meeting T-Bone or Elvis, you know, these, these dudes have made so much amazing work. And at least, I mean, just this is just how my mind works or whatever. But it's like I try to to be there for the the them that is there now or then, you know, and not be like, oh, geez, Louise, right. I really love this thing that you did back then and this other thing. I try to be like, oh, dude, that riff you just played right now is amazing. Or, well, it's you know, really like, interesting because you're really talking about being very present, which I, I guess, yeah. I mean, I know you meditate. I'm wondering if that's helped you with that. Oh my God, Medi- meditation. I feel like it has helped everything. You know, I feel like that's one of the greatest things a person can do for themselves in this in crazy what way? Life. So in what way has it really helped? I don't know. I try to describe it as, as like we all carry around this little energy reservoir that we use up every day. We deplete it, and there's ways we can refill it by obviously sleeping at night or exercising or eating right or all these things that people know. But I feel like meditation is a thing that can really fill it up and really give you energy and peace of mind just by sitting. I try to explain it to people in, in the simplest way possible. Like, cause people think you're supposed to like float off the couch or see green monsters or they, they, people think this crazy insane thing is supposed to happen. But I try to like break it down to just sitting. Like, let's say every person just said, I'm going to just sit down for 20 minutes. I'm going to turn off my phone. I'm going to turn off my computer. I'm going to sit in a quiet room. I'm going to close my eyes and just sit on the couch for 20 minutes. I think that alone, even if you didn't even enter into any discussion of any type of meditation or form of meditation, that alone would change the world. I think we would see the world become a more peaceful place immediately. You know, and So then when you get into the meditation, I started with breath-based meditation, insight meditation, Jack Kornfield, like listening to him. And really got into that, and really. Yeah, I tried those too. Those didn't quite get me there, but they're then great. You and I do the same kind. Yeah, right? now, TM, TM, yeah, transcendental meditation. So when I finally found TM and, and learned it and got the mantra, and I feel like the mantra for me works so much better than the breath. It's just as easier for me. And but I still encourage people, you know, try it all. You know, see what works best for you. Yeah, I was with someone earlier today who does mindfulness, and I was like, that works great for you. That's Absolutely. awesome. I, yeah. For for me, TM is like you. It pretty life. Changing. That's, yeah, it's amazing. Probably the single that, and I do morning pages every day, and those were like the things that keep me able to. You mean like a diary? Create sort of like freehand pages, like out of the Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, which is great. One of those. Mm-hmm. If you like reading this kind of stuff, three 
longhand pages every morning where you don't censor yourself. Oh, that's cool. At all. So you just write. You can't be a perfectionist. Thoughts or poetic you, yeah. lines or whatever. Yeah, anything. you don't read it back. Right. You know, if you find a great idea and it, maybe you circle it right away, you take it somewhere else, but you just go for three. That's cool. Yeah, I was 30 before I could, could do this, and I, I was so blocked that I started doing that, and like everything That's great, it yeah. was a way to, to create. So meditation, do you get song ideas sometimes during it or after it? or or? Yeah, you know, meditation, that's the other thing that, you know, when you talk about it with people who don't meditate, it's like sometimes you sit down to meditate and your mind is so scattered and so busy. I mean, you're just kind of sitting there thinking for 20 minutes. You know, it's like you almost never stop thinking. And then the next day, you're more peaceful or you're more grounded or whatever, and you're really transcending. You're really way deep into the meditation, you know. But it's just it's different day by day. Yeah, sometimes songs pop in. Sometimes, you know, it's just like I, I can't stop thinking about the grocery list I have to finish. You know, the stupid stuff we right, think you about. You find your way day. back to your mantra. Yeah, then you go back to mantra. do the best that you can to keep yep. it going. Yeah, you, you almost wish there were, there were another word for it. Like your idea about just sitting on the couch, in a way, the word, I think, stops people sometimes because it sounds yeah, it's a new agey totally, yeah, yeah, and impossible yeah. and like they, don't, they can't reconcile like who they are with this idea of being like the character in Kung Fu or something. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like totally. being like Kane. Yeah. But, but it's, not, it, it's not any of that, It's like right? the most simple, ordinary, beautiful thing you could do that anybody could do. You know, it's like, Breathing or, or eating, or you know, it's another thing that's so no, I natural. I, comes so naturally to everybody. And what else do you turn to for inspiration? Obviously, you read a lot. Mm-hmm. Are you, do you turn to other music, and do you listen to a lot of music? Do you oh, God, go to a yeah. lot of movies? Like what? Oh yeah. How do you absolutely. stoke your? How do you kind of like stoke the artist in you with with other art? What do you? Oh yeah. I mean, everything. I'm constantly listening to music and watching films and watching TV shows and watching. Uh, reading and and but I also really try to disconnect to you know I, I try to in a good way I mean I try to just meditation is a good way of doing that or you know taking walks I'm a big walker that's one of my biggest artistic inspiring moving the energy things if I if I'm working on a song I go take a walk and and let the song figure itself out you know by by walking um, and do you find yourself just I know we're coming to the end of our time here and you got to go perform but you had this great quote after the horrible Paris attacks um, where you said, every note we play, every syllable I sing is for peace and for understanding and for love, and we must stick together and talk about how we find ways to accept each other. How conscious is that stuff for you when you walk out on a stage and you're looking at the audience? Are you really trying to open your heart that much when you walk out there and sh- and bring that that to people. I'm trying to, you know, I feel like you know, every day is a struggle, and 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 some days are easier than others. And I think one of the greatest things I learned meditating is the idea that uh, when you transcend and you get down to this deep level of unified consciousness, you know, your core consciousness is the same as a leaf or a deer or a drop of water or this other person. You know, once we get down past our thoughts and past the color of our skin and our religious preferences and our sexual preferences and all these surface level things, there's this consciousness that is the same for everybody. You know, it's like this thing that that is so unifying and that you wish more people could learn to stop fighting because we all want the same thing. We all want to be loved. That's the end of the story. We all want to be loved. We all want to love. Love is God. 
that is consciousness. You know, I feel like when you look at it that way, you really can see beyond all of the stuff, and you just want there to be more love in the world. You know, it's like any way we can get it, just let there be more love. In the well, world. yeah, God is love is a great sort of answer to people who uh, want to argue about the the different lines of different religions. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny, I listen to believe, and uh, I'm an atheist, but I believe the thing I believe in is you know Led Zeppelin three. Right. Yeah, exactly. Led Zeppelin 3 has never let me down. <laughs> yeah. Never failed Absolutely. to take me to, you know, I, if I hear Tangerine, I'm going to oh, be tangerine, happy. yeah. Have you ever sung that song? No. You guys, you, man, you'd kill it. Don't yeah. you think you would kill that? That's a good one. <laughs> it is. But no, right? I mean, for me, like that. And so I, I do think that it's a religious thing that musicians, it's the closest to that for people who don't have that. Yeah. So when you look out in this audience, are you thinking, I'm uniting... I mean, do you allow yourself to sort of think about, because you guys are considered the best live band in the world, I, I just wonder if you think about it differently than most bands do, which is, they're going to go up there and, like, do you, th- do you believe that you've, you think about taking this mass of people and making them into one no, different thing? No, because we're all doing it. I'm not doing anything. You know, the audience is doing just as much to me as I am to them. You know, it's like, because I know what it feels like to be in the audience, and, and, and I know what it feels like to be on the stage, and I feel like... Playing music with people is truly a communal experience. Playing music in your basement is a different thing. Playing music in the studio, whatever. If you're working on something by yourself or with your band, it's different. But when you're intentionally playing with people, with an audience in a room, it's this. I really feel like it's this two-way street, and I'm super sensitive to it. If I feel like the audience is judging me or they don't like it, I'm bummed, and I'm not feeling like I'm going anywhere. But if I feel like people are into it, and it's this holy experience, you know, they affect me profoundly. You know, wow. it's like if I, it's not like I'm stepping up there and delivering the goods every time. If I feel like nobody cares, or you know, because we've played so many different types of gigs, we played for three people who don't give a shit. We played for three people who love it. We've opened for Pearl Jam in a giant stadium where you feel like nobody gives a shit at all. We've opened for Pearl Jam in a giant stadium where Eddie comes out and sings a song with us, and you feel like everybody accepts you, and gives you a chance. <laughs> you know, it's like, and then we play sure. our own headline shows, like here at the Beacon, where it's amazing. And it's full of people who love your music, and you know, there's all these different. Right, ways so that to makes experience. a huge difference to you if you can surf that. Oh you think God. then you can really whip it up into a shared friend. Oh, definitely. All right, well, I want to let you get into that space of going to get ready to do that. But, man, Jim James, uh, you're on Twitter, though. You don't tweet a tremendous amount. So I've been people... into Instagram. I've been into pictures lately. So that's where people can find you. Yeah, I've been... Uh, I mean, I'm on Twitter, and, and the Instagram goes through Twitter or whatever, but... And what's your name on... Removador is my name on Instagram, but Jim James is my name on Twitter. So you can find Jim there. You can find me, at Brian Koppelman, on Twitter, and... Um, Man, this is a, a thrill. I'm, I'm so glad you're going to go out there and, and rock these people, and um, I'm so glad you're doing what you do. Thanks so, so Thanks much for, for doing this me. and having yeah. this conversation, man. Thanks a lot. All right, guys, uh, you can, um, like I said, find me at Brian Koppelman on Twitter or email me, themomentbk at gmail.com, but don't send me snippets of choruses that you want me to send to Jim because I won't do it. All right, <laughs> take care. Bye.
I'm Gretchen Rubin. And I'm Elizabeth Kraft, her sister and happiness guinea pig. Every week on our podcast, we talk about a try this at home tip for making your life happier. Which try this at home tip do you think listeners have most responded to? Without question, the one minute rule. Oh, the rule that anything that you can do in less than a minute, you do without delay. Yes, put a dish in a dishwasher, hang up a coat, whatever. I have to say, this has improved my marriage because my husband is neat and I'm not. And this is a good example of that happiness can feel very transcendent and abstract, but sometimes it's the little practical things that give us the biggest happiness boost. Search for Happier wherever you find your podcast.